feel of light coming to me. Show me what I need to see. Welcome to the Small Victories Podcast. I'm your host, Pauline Victoria, an inspirational thought leader that offers transformational perspectives based on my unique experiences as a woman born without arms and legs. I feel like my life has been full of small victories that has led me to discover the greatness within. I believe that there is no summit upon which we reach our greatness. I believe it is a culmination of small victories achieved moment by moment when we turn toward the inward battle where we get to choose despair or hope, misery or miracles, defeat or victory. My goal is to awaken your potential, your purpose, and your power so that you can discover the greatness that lives within you. Think of this podcast as your weekly portion of tools, stories, and teachings that help you reflect on the small victories in your life. Thanks for tuning in and let's begin. Thanks for joining another episode of the Small Victories Podcast. I'm your host, Pauline Victoria. Two of the scariest words we can be confronted with are change and challenge. In this episode, we're going to reframe those words so you welcome instead of reject these realities of life. I'm joined by Di Manuel to have an open conversation about how we can say yes to change and challenge. Di is a super dad dating his wife with a lead by example way of living. He's a contagious personality who is on a mission to positively impact 1 million role models around the globe to lead a functionally, emphasis on the fun, healthy life through education, encouragement, and community. He is an award-winning digital thought leader and author, distinguished Toastmaster, TEDx speaker, and edutaining keynote speaker, former partner and chief operating officer of a multi-million dollar retail company and a sought after lifestyle mentor, executive performance coach. Di knows the struggle of the juggle and keeping his health and happiness is a priority. He models his work based after the five F's, fitness, family, faith, and finances with an overarching roof of fun built on a solid rock foundation of health. Nuggets of wisdom and inspiration to take action to be your best self are guaranteed when you connect with Di. Di, thank you so, so much for being on the Small Victories podcast. <laughs> Pauline, thank you. I mean, I'm just excited to be here. You know, when we had our first connection call, I was like, wow, I loved your energy. You know, the authenticity with which you lead your life is inspiring. And I think it's important. It's a lesson for all of us to learn just to be privy to these types of conversations, like a fly on the wall, you know what I mean? And just uh, thank you for holding a space like this for people to have conversations like we're about to have, because I'll tell you, the world needs more of it. You know, yeah. we need those moments to capture this positivity because listen, the media is really good at the negativity and we got this imbalance of the scale. So I appreciate that you're doing your part to offset that scale. And I just want to say thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Mm, thank you. I feel that. And I receive that. I think it's important for us to hold space to not only just have the positive conversations, but the vulnerable conversations, because mm -hmm. it is in that vulnerability, in that tension, where we grow and we can really see what we're made of, what we can rise to, and what's possible for our lives. And I love the topic that we're going to dive into today. Obviously, from your bio, you 
speak on a lot of different things. You're amazing in both your personal and your professional life. I love that you say you're dating your wife. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and you have your kids and we were just talking about your kids, right? Uh, and how fast they grow and change. And, you know, the topic of today is saying yes joyfully and full-heartedly to change and challenge. I'm excited to talk about change with you. I feel like I can speak a lot to the challenge, so I'm excited to exchange thoughts on these two topics. Yes, please. Yes, and please. Because I think the world has confronted us, like circumstances in mm -hmm. our lives, in our world with the last few years, it's mm. apparent that nobody is immune to change and challenge in this That's lifetime. Right. So- if you are listening to this, if you have been alive for even the last five years, you're going to want to tune in because change and challenge are coming your way. And there is a way to say yes with grace to both of those. So mm. let's dive in. Die. I'm just going to go there. Good. What has been your biggest challenge in life? Oh, man. Well, which one? <laughs> you know, like, they're all big, right? <laughs> yeah, well, they're all relevant contextually. You know, what's interesting is like when you think about what makes up life. Hmm. And I really thought about this a lot five years ago when my father passed away from pancreatic cancer. He was a young 71, you know, like you wouldn't have believed that he was 71 when you meet him. But yet at end of life, he seemed much older than 71, obviously with battling cancer. And you know, how do you surmise a life, right? Like, how do you sit down and say, this is what it is and this is what it means. And it's just, there's a, a whole complexity of ideas that come with that, right? And when I think about challenges, every challenge that we all encounter in our lives, yeah, it, there, there's a lot of subjectivity to it. Obviously, we have our own perspectives that we bring to it, our own little flavor based on our nature versus nurture or the combination of both as we've been brought up. But each challenge builds on the last. You know, because often it adds to our character, to our personality, to our experience and ultimately helps shape who we become. And so to pinpoint any one, it doesn't give the whole picture. So I think the easiest one to start with is when I was younger, my parents separated and divorced before I was 10 years old. And, you know, it, it, that kind of rocked my world back then. As a child, like I came from a great home. I felt loved. I felt safe. But that was a big change. And it was a change I wasn't expecting. It sort of came out of left field. Like my brother and I, my brother, two and a half years, my junior was, when we came home after school one day and my dad was there at like 3.30 in the afternoon, and we're like, well, dad's never home. Like this, he should be at work. You know, already we were like, hmm, <laughs> what's going on here? And then they corralled my brother and I into the living room and sat us down. And I was like, oh boy, I'm looking at my brother. And I'm like, what did we do? Are we in trouble here? <laughs> Instantly that sort of self-doubt, like, oh boy, what did we do? And the next few sentences that came in my parents' mouths were life-changing for us in that moment. And ultimately it was that we're getting divorced, but you kids will be okay. You'll be looked after. We love you. So that reassurance, but at age nine, my world changed literally in an instant. And this isn't a poor me situation. I don't want people to think I'm looking for sympathy, maybe some empathy. I mean, I think a lot of people today have experienced something similar, whether in their own personal relationships or in their familiar relationships. And it, let's be honest, we're human beings that experience life together. You know, so relationships are important. But that was an experience that changed the next five years for me quite drastically because didn't understand what was going on back then. You know, this is the mid eighties when I was 10 years old, I was born in 76. This is around 86. We didn't have the internet. 
Uh, there was only one other kid in my class of 30 kids that didn't have his original parents still together. So the majority of them had parents that got married and had kids and were still together. It wasn't like today <laughs> where statistically it's the opposite way. And yeah, it was just really hard because there wasn't any resources. There wasn't a lot of support. There wasn't really anybody I could talk to. So I swallowed those emotions, both figuratively and literally. I learned really quickly that I could influence my emotions by eating certain foods. And it wasn't like I was sitting around saying, hey, you know, Pauline, I'm going to eat more salad. <laughs> you know, like, can I have some more salad, please? Like, you know, it was none of that. Like, I was reaching for foods that were very poor nutrition value, yet very high in calories and often, you know, had a lot of sugar in it, as an example. And that influenced my emotional state to the place where in the moment I felt really good. And I started to chase the feeling good. And I felt like I had control over that. Because I was the one feeding myself. I was the one grabbing the snacks, you know? And also on top of that, mid-80s, personal computers are becoming readily available. We had VHSs. So we all of a sudden had the home entertainment systems. We could bring the movies home with you. And I had a video game console and I had movies. And so, again, dopamine, right? Instant gratification in the moment and escapism from my life. Mm -hmm. We don't need to be a rocket scientist, but that was my lifestyle for about five years from age nine to 14, almost 15 years old. And I just kept putting weight on and on and on to the point that at almost age 15, I was at the doctor's office with my mom and the doctor pulled my mom aside. He's like, Betty Ann, your son died. He's morbidly obese. And I'm in the other room and the door's slightly ajar. So I know the doctor knows I can hear, right? I'm like, this is so old school. And I'm like... I remember talking to my mom after, I'm like, oh, what does morbid mean? What does obese mean? You know, like I knew it didn't mean something positive because I knew how I was feeling emotionally. I was dealing with social anxiety as a result of just feeling so self-conscious and depressed. And my mental state was not in a good place. Everything was hard. And it was just a really tough place to be. So that was my early teen years was living in this constant state of like, oh gosh, what was me? Life sucks. Like da, 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 da. And I believe that's what I was destined for. You know, it was hard. Everyone, we all, I think, agree that health is important, right? I mean, I look at you and you're vibrant, lively. You just have this energy about you. Well, that doesn't come by accident, right? One, there's a choice, but two, you have to fuel yourself accordingly, right? To keep that vibrancy, to keep that energy in a certain place. And when we're eating certain foods that rob us of that energy, it's just a matter of time before the engine starts to putter, <laughs> you know? So everything was hard. And that was my first time really not understanding that I was in control. You know, I always felt out of control. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I want to address that because that's something that struck me when you were telling your story about why you were eating what you were eating, because that's what you could control. And that created a certain emotional response from based on what you were eating, even if it was just temporary. So you were chasing what felt good. And I feel like the nemesis of change and challenge is control. Like the mm -hmm. worst thing we could try to do is to put ourselves in control. Uh, but I understand it as a human being, we want to put ourselves in control because everything feels so out of control and out of our ability to effect. And mm -hmm. so when we look at control, and how it affects our ability to say yes or welcome change and challenge in a more healthy way. What are your thoughts on that? Well, to be fair, it's 
Also, I know our brains aren't fully formed, so they say, until we're about 25, right? So I had to also keep in mind back then, my perspective on life was quite limited, right? Like my own experiences in life were quite limited because I do understand that those experiences give us context, but also give us perspective. And, and when our perspective is quite limited, well, obviously our views and our belief systems are also typically limited as well. And so that self-belief factor, as a lot of people will maintain, is also those limiting beliefs that we have. You know, they're beliefs nonetheless. We believe it to be true, but they are often beliefs that do limit our potential, limit our ability to grow, to learn, you know, because the two best ways that we all learn, and I'm open for discussion on this, you know, if I'm missing the mark here, but the two most effective ways we all learn is through modeling and mentorship. And I think back to that period of my life, I didn't have a lot of either of those. You know, my mom's always struggled with her weight. Still to today, it's still a major health issue for her as a weight. And so her eating habits, the binge eating, that was modeled around me all the time, you know? And as far as mentorship goes, especially from a, a male role model perspective, my dad wasn't there very much. He was always working, building his business and justifying that his amount of work was required for supporting the family given us the lives, lifestyles that he believed that we deserved and wanted to give us. And I appreciate that. I'm not knocking him for that, but it also gave him something to validate the absence. Uh -huh. And so back to your question, you know, like we, we do have to sort of consider those factors as well when we start to ask ourselves, like, how am I limiting myself, right? What are those beliefs, especially around change and what kind of change have been modeled to me up to that point? And, you know, it's those inputs into that muscle between the ears, right? Like, how are we exercising that muscle? And it's funny, I once said that at a keynote, and I had a neuroscientist in the audience that came up afterwards and had to correct me. He's like, I hope you know the brain is not a muscle. And I know that, okay? I'm using it figuratively, okay? Um, but, <laughs> exactly, semantic. But, uh, you know, it's really challenging because if we haven't experienced change, at least change where we feel like we were in control of the change or we influenced the change or we started the change. And I think I've shared this with you before. Like, again, sort of hinted that I was a movie buff. I still am a movie buff. And one of my favorite movies is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Classic, I know. But at the beginning of that movie, you see Harrison Ford charging, trying to run and escape this massive boulder that's chasing him outside the mouth of this cave. Well, for a lot of us, change feels like that massive boulder. And we're like, oh my gosh, it's coming. And it's going to barrel me over whether I like it or not. Yeah. And I don't think this is going to feel very good, right? And that's typically the relationship we have with change. Uh -huh. you know, and Buddha says something about that like 2,600 years ago. He says, hey, you know what? The only thing you have to accept to be absolute certainty is that nothing's going to stay as it is. Yeah. That the universe, the nature of its impermanence, everything's constantly in a state of change. And sure, 2,600 years ago, he said that, and we can rationalize that all day long, but do we really believe it? And I know it is sounding more philosophical, this conversation today. And I guess these are the questions I've started to ask myself, especially when my father passed five years ago. It just opened my eyes to a lot of things around change, because that was the first time I really lost someone very close to me, you know, a family member. And it's amazing how it puts your own mortality into perspective, right? Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? What do you think about that feeling of change, like the boulder coming at you? And I'm curious about your perspective. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I think that a lot of people, their instinct is to run from change because it's uncomfortable. It's unfamiliar. It opens and could trigger in somebody emotions 
of discomfort or uncertainty or fear of the unknown. And so having those, of course, naturally, if a big, scary thing is coming after you, you're going to run from it. And I think, you know, coming back to the question about control, I personally think control is just an illusion that we buy into to make ourselves feel better that we have some sort of uh, ability to argue with reality. You know, Mm. like sometimes our reality is our reality and change is coming for you. The boulders coming for you. And I think for me, when I think about that, perhaps the best way is, of course, you don't want a boulder to hit you and smash you like a pancake, but it's shifting your perspective and possibly seeing that boulder is a little rock. Yes. I'm glad you said that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's all about perspective shifts and it's not about arguing with like, oh, COVID, you know, no, I refuse to accept that we have to go in lockdown or I refuse to Mm. accept that my father died or I refuse to accept that my parents got divorced or I refuse to accept that I don't have arms and legs you know, like the reality of it is, is the reality of it. And change is coming. Challenges are coming. Maybe if you're listening to this, you're experiencing a challenge right now. And it feels like you're going to be smashed like a pancake. But the reality also is that you have the ability to shift your perspective of what that boulder could mean for you. Perhaps if you got out of the way, the boulders making a pathway for the next thing to open up. Right. right. Yeah. So it really could be anything you want. But I think the only thing we really have control over is our perspective. Mm -hmm. And I know for me, a huge part of accepting change and challenge in my life, which I feel like it's been riddled with from the day Mm -hmm. I was born, is surrendering. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that doesn't mean giving up. It doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean that you just throw your hands in the air and be like, whatever. It's this understanding that you don't argue with reality and you come to a place of full acceptance. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you in your life experienced that kind of surrender or how have you gone through changes mm-hmm. and challenges in your life? I think it's a wonderful way to sort of position it. And you're right, that that acceptance of oneself and just our lot in life, if you will, or our current situation. And it doesn't mean you just accepting where you're at doesn't mean you have to stay there. Right. It, and again, right back to perspective again. It's amazing that what a half a degree shift in perspective will actually show you what you may have been missing. And case in point, like those big, massive cruise liners, like these huge cruise boats, right? I shouldn't call it a boat. I mean, they're like cities on the water, right? But if they were off by a half a degree and they continue down that half a degree error, for 12 hours, well, they're now completely different time zones, potentially, you know, like it's that far apart. And the neat thing is that's how quickly change can actually happen is with this micro shifts. And for me at age 15, I remember I had this little hack that I love to do where I would stay in the shower. And before I would get out, I would turn the water on extra hot. And I would let the room just completely fill with condensation and fog, right? Like the heat fumes. Because when I would get out, the mirror would inevitably be covered in condensation. And this was my way so I didn't have to see my reflection. 
of myself as that morbidly obese teen, you know, like I did, because I didn't, I, there's very few photographs of me even back then, you know, and I'm very grateful I didn't grow up in today's day and age where everyone has a high pixel camera in their hip pocket. I, I just, I feel for kids today, you know, that continuous pressure of everything being captured and documented and shared. And it's like, whoa, I mean, I had a lot of social anxiety and I avoided being in social environments based on how I felt. I couldn't imagine with that added pressure, right? And so this one day at my dad's place, you know, he's rushing my brother and I, I we got to get somewhere. I have no idea where we were going, but either way, I was in the shower. He's knocking on the door. He's like, you got to hurry up. We got to go. And so I got out. I didn't get to do my hack. And as I'm toweling off, I can see in my peripheral, my reflection in the mirror. And I have no idea why, Pauline, but that morning I decided to turn and look at myself. And it was a big mirror, you know, it covered that whole wall of the washroom. And there I was looking at myself straight in the face, toweling off still. And I decided to start to do the gaze down. And by the time I started to gaze back up, I needed to start toweling off my chest because it was ugly cry central, you know, like it was just full on sobbing, like it was uncontrollable crying. And what I realized, it was a massive release for me. You know, it was very cathartic for me. It was this release of this internal pressure of just like the feelings that I had bottled up for so long because I didn't talk to anybody about how I was feeling. I really isolated myself. As much as my parents wanted to support me and, and close friends and family members wanted to support me, I just shunned any support that came my way because every time they come offering help, I just took it as, you don't think I'm good enough the way I am. You want me to change. You know, like that's what I thought. And as a father now, I understand, right? I'm like a different perspective because I'm like, when I see my daughter's sad, I don't want him to be sad. I want him to be smiling, you know, like I want to make it better. Like if I can help them. And again, perspective, right? <laughs> and in that moment, while I was looking at myself and having this massive release, like it was this instant realization that here I am 15 years old. It's taken me about five years to get to this place. Five years from now, because I just had a conversation with my dad about possibly post-secondary education, maybe moving away for school. You know, you start thinking about university or what am I going to do after high school? And I started to realize like five years from now, if I don't do anything different than I've been doing the last five years, it ain't going to be easier than it is right now. This wave of fear overcame me. And I'm just being completely transparent. I was afraid. And I was actually more afraid of the idea of not changing and staying as I was than I was of the idea of changing. That's the best way I can frame it now. You know, back then I wouldn't have been able to articulate. I would have just said, I'm afraid of staying in this state of unhealth. Cause I knew deep down that if I didn't start to do things differently than I had done to that point, life wasn't going to get easier. It was going to get harder. And I came out of that washroom. I got dressed. I found my dad in the living room. I'm like, dad, I want to get healthy. I don't want to be like this anymore. And he's like, whoa, you know, like my dad's eyes lit up, right? He's like, hmm? and he's like, oh, okay. And obviously I know he's thinking, he's like, oh gosh, I got to hit this while it's hot. And I really commend my dad and my mom back then because my dad obviously saw something in my eyes and he's like, hey, what do you want to do? How can we help you? But notice it was me coming saying, I want to do this. Can you help me? It was coming from me. It wasn't them coming the other way, right? And, and that's the interesting thing. So change tends to happen when we want it and when we choose to ask for it sometimes, you know? And I said, you know what? I'd love to get a bike. Because I remembered as a kid loving to ride my bike. I thought it was, here's an activity I can do on my own. I don't have to step foot into those things called a gym where there's a bunch of machines I don't understand how to use. And there's going to be a bunch of people staring at me. And I'm like, no way am I going there. But I could do a bike. I liked biking. It was fun. 
and it was outdoors it was fitness orientated i knew it would get my body moving you know can we do that and right then and there that afternoon he took me out to buy a bike that afternoon we came home with that bike and i went for a ride and the next day i went for a ride and the next day i went for a ride and i just continued down that path and it was about six weeks into this commitment to my health and well-being my fitness of wanting to make some changes and I was struggling. Like anybody that looks to make health changes, there's those periods where you start to question, is this stuff worth it? <laughs> like, is this change worth it? Like, is this actually working? Because it's hard, right? Especially health changes. They're really challenging. Look at the time of year we're in right now, right? It's January. Go to the gym right now, it's jammed. You go back there two weeks from now, it ain't jammed. <laughs> like, what happened? And because everybody had the best of intentions. Because often change is not easy, but it's worth it. But you have to stay the course to see that and to experience that, to feel that. And so here I am, I come up to this hill and it was the same hill on the same bike ride every day I would do. And I would come to that hill. And I remember the first time coming to it, I made it a third of the way up and it was like the bike froze. I just froze and I was like, I can't move anymore. And it was like, why isn't this going? Come on, go, go, go. Oh, boom, and fell over. And, and in my mind at that moment, I was like, okay, you failed. This, this is impossible. You can't do this, you know? And in my gut of guts, like I was like, I should just turn around and ride home. But I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Got off the bike. I walked to the top of the hill, got back on and started riding again. I kept coming back day after day. And it was about six weeks in, okay? Six weeks. I remember coming to the hill and I kept my head down, just looking at the ground, looking at my feet on those pedals and just kept going, kept going, kept going. Felt like one of those train moments, you know? I think I can, I think I can, right? <laughs> like the old child story, right? And, and, it was only within a minute or so. And I remember looking up because all of a sudden things started to feel easy again. And I was on top of the hill. I had made it. I made it all the way up. And yeah, I know it sounds like not like a big deal. But to me at that moment, I was like, holy smoke, six weeks ago, I couldn't do this. Today, I did do it. In fact, I just did it. I think Nike's got a great slogan, just do it. I'm like, that's great. But isn't it much more powerful to say, I just did it? Uh, I'm probably going to get some Nike executive trying to sue me now. But uh, anyways, it's <laughs> good press. Um, but, uh, you know, in that moment, I realized that not only is change possible, but it happened because I decided to do something different than I was doing before. Mm. And I really became in that moment, a champion of change for myself, an advocate for change for myself. And that's where my perspective shifted. As you were mentioning earlier, that shift in perspective, that was the moment, you know, at age 15. And I had this realization and the shift in my relationship to how I view change. And thank goodness it happened at that age. Because it's challenged me a lot of times after something to remember. And sometimes it doesn't always come immediately. And again, another movie reference for those cultural buffs out there. You know, that McFly moment. McFly, McFly, yeah. right? Back to the future in case anybody yeah. gets that. And sometimes it was like that, you know, like it needed some guy to hit me on the head a few times to remind me that change doesn't have to be as hard as we make it out to be. Mm. And fortunately, I've had to work through that in a few other times in my life. And I'm sure... Before I leave this mortal coil, I'll probably have to do it again a few more times. But does it get any easier? No, not necessarily. But it definitely doesn't feel as hard. Mm. I think that's probably the best way to put it, you know? Yeah. Mm. So we've talked about change mm. that happens to us because of life circumstances, <laughs> like your parents getting divorced. And yeah. then we can flip it with a little perspective shift mm. to change that we cause, mm. right? Or, we're actually opening the door and saying, change and challenge, come in. I welcome you. 
And I love your story because I can so relate. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was swimming, right? It was the fear of like we, I grew up in a neighborhood and there was a neighborhood pool and every summer the pool would open and all the kids of the neighborhood would go hang out and grew up there since I was five. But then you start becoming like 12, 13, preteens, you know, all that stuff. And you're like, oh, what? They're all going to the deep end. And I'm stuck over here in the three foot pool in my little inner tube that is like a baby's inner tube. And like, I want to hang out with the other kids. And the fear of being left out on the sidelines was bigger than my fear of drowning. And I tried to, and there was no instruction manual, but I figured out how to swim on my own. So I could hang with everybody in the deep end and dive right on in. And so I can relate to that because it's about what the change can offer, what Mm. possibility opens up because we're willing to make that change. And that drives us to welcome change and challenge going up that hill, biking every day for six weeks was not only a change that you committed to, but it was a challenge that you welcomed into your life willingly. And how many of us can say, I raised my hand for challenge to come and get me, like, come at me, bro. I'm ready to go. <laughs> and so, you know, oh, I love that. Um, and I feel like I'm constantly saying, come at me, bro, like mm. to challenge and change in life because of what's possible on the other side when we do say yes, yes. wholeheartedly. Oh, got shivers. Thank you. (laughs) That's beautiful. And you know, the the interesting thing about change is as much as we might experience it and we try to have this positive shift to be more accepting of it at times, especially as it relates to our own lives, it doesn't always mean that it comes that way, right? For me, because of that anxiety piece that I had, that social anxiety, that this fear of being around public settings, especially around a lot of people and people I don't know specifically, because I always felt people would stare at me and judge me. And just, it was just really hard because I didn't really like who I was. I didn't like me. So how could I imagine anybody else could like me? You know, I come 17 and as it took me five years to put all that weight on to get that state of health, And it took me about two and a half years to undo it. And to get back to a place where I started to feel or at least look healthier. You know, because I was very surface driven. I mean, I was a teenager. My main motivation was I want a girlfriend. Like, I just want somebody to want me. Yeah. Really, that's what it was. I wanted to feel loved. And I was seeking that. I was seeking validation. And when all of a sudden I started to receive attention and started to hang out and associate with certain types of people, I was introduced to alcohol quite young. And I realized that when I would have some drinks... I could be that person that I always thought I wanted to be. And that the person, more importantly, that I thought other people wanted me to be. And that I started to think that it's what people actually wanted from me. And that's where people saw value in. And that's where I thought, wow, I got to be more like that. And to me, I associated alcohol with getting that. Mm-hmm. And that put in motion, you know, literally 16 years of a very tumultuous relationship with alcohol. You know, well into my early 30s. And until I got to another place where, gosh, change is going to happen. And whether I like it or not, I got to make some hard choices. You know, I was fronted with that after coming home. I don't even remember how I got home, but I woke up on the floor one morning as a 33-year-old. And must have been like 11 in the morning or so. It was just before noon. And my wife was up. 
she was downstairs and my kids were up. They were both under the age of six at this period in time. And they were on the couch watching like Dora the Explorer or something. And I'll save you the jingle because if I sing it once, you'll never get it out of your head. <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking about, Pauline. My wife was unloading the dishwasher. And everybody in the cul-de-sac knew she was unloading the dishwasher, okay? Like it was that passionate unloading of the dishes, <laughs> all right? That's the way I like to sort of frame it because I was up on the second level and I could hear that. That was my alarm clock, you know? So I picked myself up, literally up off the floor because I didn't even make it to the bed. And I still don't know how I got home that night. And this is par for the course. I'm just being honest. Uh, I had a tendency to, to drink to blackout. And I had a moniker. It was fun guy die. People love to hang out and party with me, you know, because I'd buy rounds and I was a fun guy. I was not a downer at all. I was very much an upper and party, a people pleaser, right? Because I always wanted people to like me. So I'd feed people more alcohol because it gave me permission to drink more too. Mm -hmm. And that's what I believe people wanted from me. You know, that's how I thought people saw value in me. I made my way down to the kitchen and my wife, oh my gosh. She's a tinge of ginger, okay? Full redhead. And the stink eye I got was crazy, right? Like, here's a woman that's always seen the potential in me that often I couldn't see in myself. And yet that morning, no, that wasn't the case, you know? And I could see that in her gaze. There wasn't a lot of love there. It was eerie. Kind of reminiscence of me looking in that mirror that one morning at 15 years old, being like, gosh, what am I looking at here? Who are you? You know, like, and here she was. She was basically a mirror for me in that moment. And Waved me down to sit down at the kitchen table and we sat down and she proceeded to tell me that this is enough. We're not raising our kids in this environment. This is not healthy for them. And Pauline, honestly, in that moment, I was like, I had nothing to say because I knew she was absolutely right. There was nothing to defend, you know, like it just, there really wasn't. And we shed a lot of tears on both sides because we still loved each other very much. And that was not the outcome that either of us really wanted. But we knew that was the best thing for the family. And I proceeded to have some pleads. You know, I wanted to work on things. I wanted to make some changes. And my wife could tell that this is a conversation we've had a few times. Let's just say that over that period of time, at this point in time, we'd already been together for over 10 years, you know, and she'd heard it all before, mm -hmm. all of it, right? And it just really didn't matter. And she then proceeded to ask me a question. And this is the question. Like, this is it. This is the question that literally changed everything. Everything. And she says, Di, are you being the type of man that you would want to marry your daughters? It, it immediately felt like I got punched in the nose, punched in the gut, kicked between the legs, just all at once, right? I was like, no. Like, if a guy like me showed up on my doorstep at that moment, there's no way I would allow him even in the house. And yet, that's what I was modeling to my own girls, ages four and six at this time. This is what a dad is. This is what a husband is. This is what a brother is. This is what a son is. This is what a business owner is. This is what a community leader is. Like, this is what I was modeling to them. And it was a, pardon the pun, but a very sobering moment. You know, that question was like instantaneous. And I was like, no, I don't want to be like that anymore. I want to make some changes. I sat my wife down on the couch. We had to pause the TV for a second. And my daughters are sitting on either side of my wife. And I'm looking at them. And I'm like, you know what? I'm making a commitment right now, guys. I, Dad, it's going to go one year without drinking. Now, it, it, I know there's some people listening. like, well, that's not a big deal. Like, what? I mean, it's a year. Come on. That should be easy. And it's like, well, no. From age 17, the longest I've ever done is a dry January, right? Like, <laughs> that was it. Like, the occasional one-month stint of pushing myself to 
not drinking, always being like, okay, it's been 30 days now. Okay, drink. It was never really serious, you know, and because uh, it was such a large part of my identity at that mm. point. And, and I valued it. I valued who I believed that alcohol allowed me to be. I built my business with this sort of persona and identity. I built relationships around this identity. And so when your identity is so attached to something that you know isn't healthy for you, it's still hard to let go of because mm -hmm. it makes you start to question, well, who am I? You know? And that's a big damn question to stare down and try to figure out. And most of us will avoid that. I know I did for 16 years. So in that moment, I was like, I'm going to go a year without drinking. And my daughter, Charnay at the time, you know, six years old, had this lazy eye. So she had these corrective lenses on, which made her eyes look like 10 times bigger, right? And so she's looking up from the couch. Okay, so no coffee, no tea, no pop. Like, because to a six-year-old, right? When you say no adult drink, she automatically thinks anything that she can't drink or that right. we limit is that. So my wife and I look at each other and we start chuckling, we start laughing. And I share this because it's such a juxtaposition, right? Like in this moment of seriousness, of heaviness, hope can be brought so quickly through lightness through a child, you know? And we needed that moment of brevity. And no, and I was like, no, 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 like beer, like wine, you know, like those other stuff that's on top of the cabinet in the fridge there, you know, like, and she's like oh, and they're like, okay, can we finish watching Dora? You know, like it was like instantly right away, right back to the TV. It was like, whatever, you know, my wife and I, and so that set out on this journey to go one year without drinking. And I realized very quickly within those first few weeks, it, this is not going to be easy. In fact, it was going to be very hard. And I got to a place where, again, I was so good at bottling things up and never letting anybody see how I was actually feeling. And a lot of that was modeled for my father. My father was very stoic. Like he wouldn't emote very rarely. And so that's what I remember. I just remember even him and my mom would get in disagreements and arguments and my dad would just ghost. Like he'd rather leave than deal with the challenge of trying to reconcile. Mm you know, to work through the hard stuff. And so I would model that often. I'd run away if something was like heavy conflict. And even when I was in moments of passionate disagreement, I would be very passive and passive aggressive as well. And so uh, long and short, to get to the point of this, I opened up to my wife. I, I got extremely vulnerable and I shared actually how I was feeling and the weight that I felt on my heart on my soul, if you will, like on my mind, like I just, bleh, I put it all out there. I did. I was like, bleh, like, I just put it all out. And it was the first time in a long time. And actually and never in our relationship at that point, after a decade of being together, that I'd truly been openly honest with her on everything. Mm. Sort of like that uncontrollable sobbing I had at 15, looking at myself in the mirror. Like it was very cathartic. But I knew my wife was sort of looking at me after this, like, I don't know, it must have been a 20 minutes, half an hour. It felt like forever, you know. And I could just tell, and she's like, I don't know what to say to that. Like, you know what I mean? I didn't know what I expected from it. It was cathartic. It felt good to get it out there. And she empathized as far as she could. And she said, you know, I think you should get some help. I think you need to talk to somebody. And, you know, I had such a negative stigma attached to that kind of thing. Like, I really did. I was like, oh, I don't need help. What are you talking about? No. I was just very, I don't want to say like, I was just such a man. I don't want to say that because I don't want to imply that it's a man thing. But based on the men that I associated with up to that point in my life, you know, it was a very male thing. 
And so I found help. I worked with a psychologist. I worked with a therapist. And we even went to a relationships counselor for a little while. We had about two sessions. And the relationship counselor is looking at Christy and I on the couch and says, you know, Christy, I think it'd be good for Di to come back on his own. <laughs> you know, so at that point, I was like, okay, all right, this is all good. You know, and I committed to this and I went all in. I did the work. After six months, like it wasn't a forever thing. And I want people to know this. I know some people think, well, once you go down that path, you're always on that path. Well, if you do the work, you actually do the things that they're helping you do <laughs> and you're accountable to that process, you'll be amazed at how quickly things can shift. Mm. I embraced the work and I did the work. And after six months, you know, I came out of that with a whole new mindset. End of the year came, my wife's looking at me and she's like, hey, congratulations. Holy smokes. I can't believe you just did that. <laughs> you just did a whole year without drinking. Do we want to watch the sunset tonight and share a bottle of wine? And I'm like, you know what? I feel like everything's changed. And it's only been a year. What happens if I keep going? I just celebrated 14 years. Wow. You know? Yeah, like literally just days ago, 14 years now. And everything changed because of that decision, that one little question that shifted everything for me. And I want people to know that's how quickly change happens. It literally happens in an instant. Yeah. And I think that we have to say yes to that change, right? You could have said, yeah, no, yeah, of course, yeah. I don't want them to marry someone like me and continue yeah. <laughs> to pay, you know, merrily and, you know, the whole mm. do as I say, not as I do yes. type approach and how many people justify their willingness to stay in the same, even in the face of their children, uh, because they're just too scared. And, you know, like that question of why are people so scared of that? Why are people so scared of the change? I think you addressed a little bit of it, but if there's anything more, what I heard you say was that people get confronted of who are they if they change, mm -hmm. right? Is there anything right. else to that resistance to change? Um, well, I think the identity piece, right? Like really my identity was attached to just who I'd been for literally 16 years at that point, right? Like it, from age 17 to 33, I operated a certain way and alcohol was a big part of how I operated, how I showed up, how I socialized, right? Like it's become such a big part. And also based on the industry I was in and the career path I was in, it was always around. Mm. It was always there. We'd have suppliers come into town or we'd go out to meet suppliers and go to trade shows. Like it was always there and it was normalized and doing anything other than that was just seen as weird or at least positioned as such. And it was just, that's the way it was, you know, like now I love it because there's a whole movement around this now where people are just saying, no, they're saying yes to themselves and saying no to all the extras, <laughs> these mood enhancers or these other chemicals that we can ingest and it will change our perspectives. And I'm not here to put those down, not at all. Like I'm not here to vilify them either, but if they're compromising our emotional state and not in a positive way, especially in a negative way, and it becomes something that really we feel we don't have a lot of control over meaning that starts to compromise our abilities to make decisions and choose healthy decisions first and foremost oh maybe it's worthwhile just asking ourselves is this the best way of doing things you know for me that's really what it came down to to be fair during that first year i had a lot of issues around well who am i who am i without this mm -hmm. And it's not easy to answer those questions. You got to go right back to basics. And fortunately, I got to work with those people. And I got to go back and look at some of the trauma as a kid, some of my abandonment challenges and some of the challenges of my relationship with my dad. And I had to unpack a lot of that stuff.
but it was so good to unpack it. Like it was hard. Okay. Like I don't think it was easy, but it was definitely worth it. You know? Yeah. I think it comes back down to going back to basics, going back to who you are at your Mm. essence and your core, because when we reject change for the better, when we are kind of averse to challenges that we can have the potential to embrace for a positive shift in our lives, Mm. it's a running away from, right? You ate a child because you felt you needed to be in control of something because you feel out of control. So it was a Mm. running away from this feeling of being in control you know, this feeling of like liquid courage, right? They call alcohol liquid courage. You know, you needed this substance to help you feel, to live into that persona where you felt validated and loved and all the good stuff that we want to feel, don't necessarily need, right? (laughs) You You are amazing whether someone validates you or not. And so again, it was a running away from not having courage to Mm. be all of you and being just you. And I feel like when we can shift our perspective to say yes to change, when we can shift Mm -hmm. our perspective to say yes to challenges, it's a moving toward. So Mm -hmm. when we say no to change and challenge, it's a running away from, and we say, yes, it's a moving toward the aspirational. What would be possible if I said yes to changing? What would be possible if I said I'm going to try to, I'm going to bike every day and it's going to be hard to get up that hill, but I'm going to do it anyway. You know, like what else is possible because of that? Yes. To those changes and challenges. And I just feel like in this conversation, it has enlightened me so much because I feel like I've been able to recognize how change and challenge is Mm. interwoven into my life and how I've dealt with it. But just having this really transparent conversation. And I want to thank you for being really transparent and vulnerable with all the hard times, but thank you. you're welcome. Thank you. It has helped me, I guess, digest change and challenge even more. And I love that. So thank you for that. Are there any oh. words that you want to share? You know, First of all, just thanks again. You know, it's been nice going down memory lane in a way. <laughs> that sort of introspection and reflection is so powerful, right? Like, especially as I mature, and I'm constantly maturing, right? This, this aging thing and more life experiences, more conversation, connecting with people like yourself. You know, and that's a beautiful thing about podcasts, right? We get these insights into other people's lives and some of their experiences, and we all have similar experiences. But do we talk about that? And the more we talk about it, the more we realize, gosh, I'm not so darn alone. There's other people that's dealing with this stuff too, you know? And I think that was the biggest thing about really putting myself on a path to develop a healthier relationship with what I believe vulnerability meant. (laughs) IT friends, and they have a very specific definition around vulnerabilities, right? When it comes to IT mainframes and all that, right? Like, I'm not talking about that. Okay. And I'm not talking about the vulnerability side of like, oh gosh, I'm wearing armor. This is a vulnerability. Oh, the sword's going to get through and hurt me. You know, like metaphorically, sure. Maybe we talk about our emotions or and who and how we feel, but by opening up and developing a healthier relationship, what it means to be vulnerable, it automatically allows permission for other people to also be vulnerable in return. Like when you open up and we share and we talk about the real stuff, it's incredible 
how much closer we all feel together. And I think in all of us to develop a healthier conversation around what does it mean to be vulnerable and not for just the sake of attention or as Brene Brown says, shock and awe, right? Like that's the wrong motivation. If it's like to get more clicks, to get more likes, more followers, wrong motivation for being vulnerable. Now, if it's for making an impact and sharing what we've worked through, what we've overcome and where we're going next, and also looking for others to share a journey with, hell yeah, you know, sign me up, I'm in. And that's all I'd like to invite people to consider. It's just like, what does that mean to you? And how are you connecting with others and helping them reconcile some of the challenges that they also have worked through, even around change, right? Because I think when we start sharing, we realize we're just not alone in this journey. And it's way more fun when you get to go with other people, right? <laughs> Let's be honest, right? It just is. So yeah. a party yeah. is more fun when there's more than you. There. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Not to say you can't dance by yourself, but let's be honest. It is a lot of fun to have other people around. And uh, that's just the way we are. We're social beings, no matter how you look at it. You know, it's crazy because obviously we come from very two different backgrounds and yet in your stories, I can see my story when we talk about change and challenge and change and challenge are universal topics that I think all of us can relate to. Yes. You said it so well, so well. And I think that's my invitation to anybody that's listened or watched this, you know, think about the changes you've already endured to this point in your life. And you'll be amazed at what you've already accomplished. And what you continue to accomplish. But I think we sometimes forget about how much we've done and how much we've learned and experienced because we've already got the lessons and we can reapply them at any given time. And that's that idea of knowledge into wisdom, right? It's that application of the things that we've learned and experienced and now putting it forward to not only help others, but also continue to help ourselves, you know? And it's one of those things I wish I knew this when I was 20, right? Life would probably be different, but hey. It's all good. <laughs> I said yes, yes. But thank well, you, Pauline. You're amazing. Yeah. And thank you for the energy. You're such a generous listener, by the way. And uh, you hold such a wonderful, warm space. That you're very easy to talk to. So thank you. It made telling these stories, which aren't always easy to tell. I just, I felt honored in that. And I just want to say thank you. Mm, thank you. Here are this episode's takeaways. Each challenge builds on the last. It all adds to our character, our experiences, and ultimately helps shape who we become. The only thing you have to accept to be absolutely certain is that nothing's going to stay as it is. Control is just an illusion that we buy into to make ourselves feel better. It is a way for us to have some sort of ability to argue with reality. You have the ability to shift your perspective of what that challenge could mean for you. Perhaps if you got out of the way, that challenge might be making a pathway for the next thing to open up. Change happens in an instant, and it takes just one decision. It happens when you decide to do something different than you were doing before. What possibility opens up when you're willing to make that change and welcome change and challenge in your life? People are afraid of change because they get confronted with who they are at the core when it happens. By opening up and developing a healthier relationship with vulnerability, you give permission for other people to also be vulnerable in return. Change and challenge are the aspirational pathways that you must take in order to level up. 
Thank you, Di. And I want to, you know, talk to the listener for a second right now, because I feel like this has been a big topic and I just feel like it's a breathe in, inhale and exhale Mm -hmm. moment right now, because there's a lot that was said in this podcast episode with Di and there's a lot to process and digest. I used that word earlier, digest. And just to bring it home for each one of you, change and challenge is something that is inevitable in our lives. And we can choose, we have choices about how we either receive or reject those challenges, what we say yes and what we say no to. But I think most importantly, what I want to point out here is that change and challenge are the aspirational pathways. Those are the pathways that you must take in order to level up. So when I think about change and challenge, I think about power and possibility and and what is available to us when we can say with a full heartedly, not one foot in, one foot out, but full jumping in saying, yes, I'm going to make this change and I'm going to accept this challenge and I'm going to be convicted by it where you can't help yourself but to make that change and accept that challenge because you know you're going to be better for it and in your life you're going to be victorious. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Small Victories Podcast and until we meet again, be blessed. Angel of light, come into me Show me what I need to see You are my pathway into the light Lead me from shadows to
Show me what I need to see.